Open our lips, O God, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. About 30 years ago, I had this dream where someone with whom I was having great conflict with, and it wasn't even just like a, a representation, of, it was them, came to me in the dream, and they said, if you need me to change for you to find peace, then I am really sorry for you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for those of you that are snickering. That's a snickering kind of moment. Yeah. Where you kind of wake up and you're wondering why you're kind of sweating around the edges. And I have to say, that just didn't come out of my own being. That reflected some of the things that were being offered to me by a therapist and a priest friend with whom I was going to saying, how long, O oh Lord, must I put up with this person? How long? You know how it goes. You've been, well, maybe you haven't, but if you have, you know how it goes. In fact, one time that priest friend said, it must really be nice to be in your world and to have things so clean cut. Like, I'm coming to you for this kind of stuff? But again, what I was hearing from that person, which, as Jung says, it really is all from us, it's our stuff. Somewhere inside there was a voice saying, if you need them to change, for you to find some peace, you're the one who's really sad here. Because what's happening is that you are allowing them to control you. You are allowing them to dictate your sense of yourself, your experience of life, and really, you've just kind of let them put these chains on you to say, I'll be a happy person when they change. Yeah, when you start thinking about it, that's like, that's nuts. But I've been there too often. I am the one who chooses the chains. Now, this passage about forgiveness, it's following last week's about if you have a conflict and go to the community and all of this stuff that says that life's serious. We engage one another, and we don't do that nice Southern, and, and even Yankees do it. You know, forget, oh, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's a big deal. Forgiveness is serious, and it's hard. And one of the things that I love about the Scriptures is so often they will hold up an ideal, and then in the same sentences tell us how hard it is, like this one today where they're talking about, unless you forgive from your heart, uh, you know, your life's not going to be good. Of course, they throw in that thing about God's going to torture you like that other person, Let's just say, uh, let's not get caught on that except to say these are people who are working out their forgiveness. And they're holding up the ideal. Think about a few weeks ago when Jesus is, is accused by some religious leaders that he and his disciples, they don't follow all the purity laws. They don't wash their hands at the right times. Blah, blah, blah. And Jesus says, it's not what's outside that defiles, but it's what's inside. And then 30 seconds later, he calls the Canaanite woman a dog. And we realize, ah, there's the ideal, and people are struggling. So don't get too hung up on the torture stuff, except to say, this is hard work. It's deep work. And it requires a number of things. What does it take to forgive? And aren't there a whole lot of just pablamy kind of things? You know, love means you don't have to say you're sorry, or all that bogusness that really is pretty deadly. And so I'm thinking that what's here that Jesus is offering us is this path to freedom, a path to lightness, 
And it also requires some work and some sensibilities. Now, obviously, there are lots and lots of books written, and then in a few minutes, I'm not going to even try to attempt to cover all the areas of forgiveness. I want to say thank you to people like Lewis Meads and Michael Lapsley for some thoughts, but just a couple of thoughts this morning on forgiveness and the work that it requires. And the first thing that Lewis Meads reminds us is that there is a huge difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a work of our own hearts. Reconciliation always requires another, another person, another group, another community. And we need to make sure we understand that. Because sometimes we are called to work on forgiveness, but reconciliation isn't for this season, or maybe even next season, or maybe even this side of the shore of life, if you will. If someone who is in an abusive relationship comes to you and you say, yes, work on forgiveness and go back in relationship with them, that's nuts. That's crazy. Reconciliation may never be possible there, but the person can work on forgiveness. If you've read victims' stories before, often there is a thread that says, at one point I realized that my inability to forgive them was one more way I was allowing them to abuse me. One more way I was allowing them to have power over me. And while I did not need to be tangibly in relationship, I needed to work at that forgiveness and of offering that person to God, lest I stay in the ugliness and the pain. There's another aspect to reconciliation and and why this is work and why it's about discernment and why we go to people like therapists and friends and people who really want our best. Because in that discernment of reconciliation and restoration, there are times that perhaps it isn't really time to pursue it, especially if I'm the one who's been hurt. You know, there are a lot of times where I just want to keep reminding people what they've done to me. (laughs) We will be in relationship. (laughs) And it's really more about my unfinished stuff. may not be time for it. But then there are other times where it may be time for me to engage, whether I'm the one who's offended or not, or the one who has been offended, but I'm too afraid to get into it because I'm not sure I'll survive it emotionally, psychologically. And that's when I need others to say, sounds like you're chickening out. I think you need to go talk to them and trust yourself. And so in Matthew, we have this deep sense of Jesus saying, this is work, and it requires self-examination. And we don't do it alone. We do it in community. Because I'll tell you what, not only do I wrestle with when it's time for reconciliation or not, but I suffer from this other really paradoxical malady. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I will take all the guilt of something that's happened, you know? I, you know, as the psalmist said, I am a worm and no man. You know, it's all mine. Okay, I know, I'm just this horrible human being. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like share with Nicolas Cage and Moonstruck. Would you just grow up? You know, snap out of it. Or, equally as crazy as all the times that I can find great places to point outside and dismiss and put the blame out there. And that's why I need you to help me not keep too much on or keep too much out. Community, listening, discernment, the work. And the thought about reconciliation itself and that process When Michael Lapsley, the South African priest, was with us a couple of years ago, 
I don't know if you remember, raise your hand if you remember, he asked if we had a bicycle theology. Anyone remember that? Bicycle theology, a few hands, yeah. Probably all the cyclists in the group, all of us going, yeah, bicycle, God, cycles, yeah, definitely, I'm with you, whatever it is, I'll buy it. And he said, the bicycle theology is this, if you take my bicycle, and then you come back and ask me to forgive you, but you don't bring back the bicycle, there's really no forgiveness being exchanged. I might not have to hold you in a place of vengeance (laughs) or disdain, but really there is no reconciliation if that which has been broken has not been worked to be restored. If we have not said, not only do I recognize where I have harmed you, but let's work on what was taken away in that space, tangibly, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, Without restoration, there really is no sense of reconciliation. So as I think about all the wonderful pitfalls for me, the self-examination, the heaping too much, the heaping different parts, I find myself thinking, so as we try to practice forgiveness, as we try to exercise it, what are some things that help us be on that path? And I realize our gathering here this morning is exactly the path and the practice. Because you think about what do we need in times of examination and forgiveness? Well, first we have to gather in a safe space where we know we're going to be safe. No one's either going to abuse us with trying to make us feel too guilty or say it's no big deal, don't worry about it. Where we will find, as we often say, both the comfort and the challenge of God. And one of the ways that we hear that comfort and challenge is by listening to the stories. And we listen to the texts. And we allow them both to comfort us and to stir us up where we need to be stirred. And we enter into the story. And any experience of forgiveness and reconciliation has to involve listening to each other's stories. If I just rush up to you and say, Nancy, forgive me for this, thank you, we're done, and you go, uh, slow down, Todd. <laughs> there might be a few things we've got to talk through. And so we listen to the texts, and then we open ourselves in prayer, and we offer up to God what those texts are stirring. Where do we feel broken? Where do we feel the community broken? Where are we looking for God's healing? And we pray, and we offer those up, which also leads to confession, acknowledging what is our fault, What is our participation in this, where we need to? And then hearing the absolution of God. So we don't think, well, you'll be forgiven someday if. And then we come around this table, we bring ourselves, ourselves and souls and bodies, and we hear that word, lift up your hearts. Which means, crack open your hearts. Open everything that is in your heart and lift it up to God together, whatever we're bearing. And we are reminded when that bread is broken that in the opening of things, in the breaking of things, in letting go of things, that's where the life is found. And the amazing thing is that time and time again, when we allow those things to be broken, we find out that they do indeed have life bigger than themselves. But that bread just isn't bread suddenly. It's something that is sacred and is cracking open something to us that we just couldn't even begin to imagine. 
how could I ever get past this place in my life? How could I ever get past this person, this event, these realities in the world? By lifting up our hearts in safe spaces with one another, informed by the stories, and then receiving the bread and the elements and the life of God, both in these elements and in one another, and going back out into the world to repeat and do this again. There's the rhythm of forgiveness, what it takes, but what's available to us, and what God hungers for. As Dennis said, we leave knowing we belong, and so does the other person. As I was thinking this week about this work of forgiveness and what it requires out of us and what it takes and what God offers us on the journey, um, I ran across this poem by John O'Donohue. On the day when the weight deadens you on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets in you, may a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, May there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the fluency of the oceans be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so, may a slow wind work these words of love around you an invisible cloak to mind your life. This is the lightness and freedom of forgiveness.